0: Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML.
1: Well, it was bad news this past weekend, of course, for General Motors in Oshawa, uh, with the announcement that they're going to be shutting their plant down at the end of 2019. And it's raising some concerns about the auto industry in Ontario. I mean, is this one incident here a harbinger of things to come? Are we in for dark days? it says Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Are we there, Marvin? There is that working? It is now, Bill. All right, all right. I need. I, 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 where are the engineers when you need them? I, 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 anyway, uh, I, I think we're okay. We're good to go here. Okay. Uh, the no only problem. the only job I got here is to turn on the mics, and then once in a while, you know, I still need help with that. So,
0: uh, it's actually somebody. I think it's Jerry Diaz trying to cut in and, and uh, interrupt this discussion. Could well be.
1: Could well be. And, and it's a legitimate concern, though. When you hear something like this, sure. you know, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. What about Ford? What about Chrysler? What's going to happen here?
0: Well, uh, uh, let me maybe give you three shoes if I can. First, first first obvious question is what about GM? You know, is this a sign of bigger problems for sure? And I I think there again, the answer is no. Uh, I don't think this is anything unique to GM. They're trying to position themselves not for twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. But really, 2020 and beyond. Uh, and so they were looking at plants, plants that were not being well utilized. There's a million square feet in Oshawa to be used in the height of their success. They were doing a million cars a year there. Last year they did 118,000, be lucky to do 100,000 this year. And, and they said that's just not a good use of our space. And since we don't have a replacement, this is why we're shutting it down. But now the question is well, what about other companies? And I think, again, that's a good question cars, actual cars, not SUVs, trucks, crossovers, but those nice sedan-type cars, are just not getting demanded by consumers the way they once were. Our, our vision of a transportation vehicle is much more a truck-based or SUV-based type vehicle. It allows you to go in many different places with all kinds of family members. So there's a, it is a legitimate concern. We're not seeing any signs of problems in GM. We're not seeing any signs of, of problems in Ford and Chrysler. Uh, and so then the next question is, but if, if this is the future, these uh, electric vehicles and these uh, driverless vehicles, when is it going to hit us and how fast will it hit us? And nice people like me say this is going to be phased in over the next 10 to 20 years. There will be tumult. There will be volatility. There will be these kinds of hiccups as you go. It is nothing short of a revolutionary change in the automotive sector. And the kinds of vehicles we'll be driving in the future. It will seem very science fiction-like for sure, but it doesn't happen overnight. It happens in a series of steps, and this is probably the one that woke us up uh, more than anything else.
1: A lot of questions being asked, and, and not a whole lot of answers coming from General Motors or anybody else at this stage. But, uh, and, of course, with that comes speculation. But the obvious thing that a lot of folks are saying, well, look at okay, why can't they just make SUVs and trucks in the Oshawa plant then? Uh, cause we're told by Unifor, the, uh, the uh, folks that represent that union, that you can retrofit any factory to do that sort of thing, any automotive uh, dealer uh, you know uh, plant like this so why not that one
0: right and and so the answer to your question is absolutely they could But uh, it isn't like they've got uh, a backed-up demand. It's not like they have six months' worth of demand that current plants can't satisfy. So for Oshawa to win, for Oshawa to be retooled to make those SUVs or what have you, then they shut yet another plant down. And I think GM was trying to balance the pain. Remember, it's one plant in Canada, four plants in the United States. If this was just us in isolation, then I think that's a good question to have asked GM. But GM would say to you, well, you know, you can't have it all your own way, Canada. We had to share the pain. We're also, other three other plants around the world that were closed, and they just don't have demand for something to go into that space. The key question is to ask whether this is going to be simply mothballed. In other words, all that nice equipment stay there, and that would be actually a good sign because that would suggest that GM plans to put product back in that assembly plant, but maybe two years down the road, three years down the road, as opposed to they move the trucks in, take all of that equipment out, and now you just have the shell of a building, then that really is the end of an era.
1: But that transition that you you described, that's really been going on for the last 15, 20 years anyway, hasn't it? I mean, let's face it, uh, in in the mid-80s, there were 23,000 people working at that plant. There's only 2,200 now.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. These transitions move, and we consumers, by the way, who drive these transitions are terribly fickle people. Right now, where you can get Gasoline. If you really hunt around, you can actually find gasoline, regular gasoline, 92.9 a liter. Then, oh, happy days are here! I don't have to worry about fuel economy. Let's go get a gas guzzler. And then a year from now, suddenly it's a dollar 25 a liter, and people, oh, I better get a more fuel-efficient vehicle. We're very fickle people, but for the moment, we we are saying to these car companies, we don't want as many sedans. We really want these other things, and we also want these electric vehicles, and we want these driverless vehicles. Um, And if I'm GM, I'm trying to build a war chest, not simply to do my own R&D, but to get ready for new competitors. The market of the past, GM, Ford, Chrysler, those are the big three. We've talked about them for 100 years. The future might belong to people like Tesla and Google and Uber. Maybe they'll be making cars in the future, or Apple will be making cars in the future. So if I'm GM, I, I, I can't afford to be complacent here. I've got to be ready because I'm getting attacked from all sides.
1: We're hearing rumors already about the Brampton plant maybe next in this. So I mean, this is this is not a a problem unique to General Motors, is it?
0: No, uh, GM, GM is not the only manufacturer of sedans uh, we've heard in the United States. And I'm sorry, I can't quite give you the model as I'm sitting here, but there's a Ford sedan that they're discontinuing. Um, but I can't just can't think of the name as I'm sitting here. So you are seeing it in different places. Now, I'd also note that one person's loss can be another person's gain. So uh, a company maybe like BMW, who has a line of SUVs, might say, well, look, uh, maybe we should get into the Canadian market. Maybe we should add jobs. I've been waiting, and I think it's inevitable that we'll hear news from Tesla, where Tesla's going to say, you know, it makes sense for us to assemble those cars in Canada. I don't know when that point is, if that's one year from now, two years, three years. But as electric vehicles, which currently only have 1% of the market, only 1% of the market, but if they ever get towards 10% of the market, for sure there'd be another Tesla assembly plant somewhere. So what one person loses, somebody else might gain.
1: The industry kind of misread the public, didn't they? And I, your point's well taken. We are fickle. I get that. But uh, I, there was anticipation as they were pulling out of that recession around 2010 that, uh, that we were going to gravitate to smaller cars, uh, electric cars, obviously, because they had certain governments, including one here in Ontario, that were pushing those. But I don't know that anybody in the industry saw the swing towards trucks and SUVs.
0: No, I I think that caught us by surprise. In part, again, we can credit the car companies. They've made them more fuel-efficient than they once were. I I can remember people who used to drive SUVs kind of joking that they should have a gas pump at their home because they went through so much gasoline, and now they are more fuel-efficient. But but also some people have moved from a full SUV, so think of the Lincoln Navigator style or the... uh, uh, or the Cadillac Escalade style down to something a little smaller, and they found those can be more fuel-efficient. So we didn't read that because, again, the best prognosis we had for the per-gasoline prices were going to go was up, 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 up. And, of course, now in the last month they've gone down, 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 down.
1: And, and obviously, they have to respond and react to that. Uh, But you mentioned the German companies. They're still selling, are they not? I mean, you know, Mercedes and and, and BMW?
0: They are. So, again, different strategies for different people. Uh, BMW does have uh, a a line of... um uh, SUV type cars or crossover vehicles, as well as regular cars, they've chosen uh, not to do much work in the electric front at this point. I think this is a very interesting gamble on their part. They they, they don't think electric vehicles are going to be economically viable. So they're, they're they're looking at GM and saying, "You can spend eight billion, nine billion dollars on this. I'm not sure at the end of the day you can actually make them work." Electric vehicles have two big problems, Bill. Today they have two big problems today. First is the amount of time, um, the distance you can drive on. A a charge Today it's around 300, 350 kilometers. To put that in your mind, think of a round-trip drive from here to London, Ontario and back. That would be about the range you can get on one charge. Most people, if you're driving, say, well, I, I'm used to more like 500 miles or 500 kilometers before I'd need to do something. But I think that's easily done. I think they can find a way to get you a little more storage capacity. The second problem is once the vehicle is empty, how long it takes to recharge? Today, I pull into a gas station, and within three, four minutes, I've got a full tank of gas. I'm back on the road. If I'm driving to Florida, it's not a real big stopover problem at all. But today, to recharge an electric vehicle could take three, four, five hours, not three, four, five minutes. And that's really the question. Can they find a way to charge these vehicles more quickly, extend the length on a charge, and then charge them more quickly? Those are the two rate-limiting factors, and I don't know when they'll be able to break through on those.
1: Uh, and you talked about the innovations and, and this propensity that the big three now seem to have towards moving towards electric vehicles, and that's one of the rationale that uh, they, they used, obviously, for the Oshawa situation. But if it's only at 1% of the market, are they expecting that to to grow exponentially in, in the next few years? Because I'm not getting any sense that people are gravitating to that and say, boy, i got to get me one of those.
0: Right. Uh, so I, here's this marvelous conundrum. Uh, futurists, I won't put myself necessarily in that category, but futurists do believe the future is electric vehicles, in part because of environmental pressures, in part because of carbon taxes. If you run a vehicle on electricity, you won't be paying those. So, you know, they see this coming. My problem is, we're not there today in 2018. Most people find an electric vehicle doesn't really meet their needs today. If we can come, uh, to, to get over, or overcome that charging issue and overcome the distance on a charge, then they might become viable for people. We tried giving you incentives. In fact, the the auto incentives under the liberal government of Kathleen Wynne were very generous incentives. That didn't seem to make the difference. So I don't know when the what's going to be the spark that explodes that powder in the powder keg. But futurists look out ten years and they say it's inevitable. We'll all be driving vehicles. I just don't know what's going to cause that tipping point.
1: Well, and I'm wondering, too. I was up at Lime Ridge Mall this past weekend, and I'm sure you've seen uh, the, you know, the, the parking lot there, the, uh, the west parking lot. Has, it's got all these charging ports up there, and I figure, boy, those things aren't going to get filled anytime soon.
0: <laughs> in fact, it's Tesla who's promoting yeah. that. They're, they're trying to get more charging stations because that's one of the complaints. If I am going to drive from here to Florida, I can get gasoline every couple of miles down the road. Where am I going to be able to pull in to get charging? So Tesla is prepared to invest some money to create these. Fill up stations, if you will, but for electricity, uh, I see them also at go stations you 'll see their special parking spaces if you have to charge a vehicle, uh, park and fly in Toronto if you leave an electric vehicle, they give you premier parking, better parking if you have an electric vehicle. So people are trying to create the infrastructure, but at this moment that doesn 't seem to be the rate limiting factor I think it 's the other two the amount of time it takes to charge and the distance you travel. And when whoever can break through that, they may be rewarded with the first big wave of sales.
1: All right, we know that the federal government is still talking uh, with General Motors. I don't know what they're right. saying or how far this is going, and we're told that they're talking with Unifor. Uh, is there anything that, that the government can do at this stage to get General Motors to change their minds and uh, maybe retool this even if they're not going to yeah. start building the, the sedans again?
0: Yeah. So let me come down that in two ways, if I can, Bill. Sure. Uh, Obviously, you want to keep talking. Talking is always a good thing. And I think there's two fronts you talk on. One is a future front. You say, okay, GM, we, we hear you. You're going to close this. Uh, what what's your plans for this property? Is it mothballing? Do you see two years down the road, three years down the road, reopening this factory as a a site for such and such a vehicle or such and such a a truck or whatever it happens to be? And and what you do then is you say let's mitigate the short term pain. Oh oh, you're going to reopen again in two or three years. Then I'm going to take good care of those workers, give them enhanced employment benefits, uh, etc. to get them to bridge them to when things get back to normal. The second one, this is really more the Jerry Diaz approach, is to not accept this and say this is unacceptable. You must, you must keep this plant open and build something there. Donald Trump said something very similar. In that, friend, in that sense, Mr. Diaz and Mr. Trump are very similar. But my problem with that comment is, what would you want them to build there, and then what do you want them to do with it? If they are not selling more cars, if they don't have any backlog, then all they'd be doing is uh, producing cars to put in an inventory, and that's the end of the the company as we stand. If they don't sell the vehicles that they're producing. Jerry seems to have it in his head that this is all about Mexico somehow, and, and maybe in a sense it is that in the last 20 years, uh, all the major car companies have built plants in Mexico. They specialize each plant. It's a zero-sum game, however, so uh, why would GM now close a brand new assembly plant in Mexico to move that back here? Uh, and, and so for Canada to win, Mexico's got to lose. I don't think that's the right tone to take in these, but we can explore that, see if there are any options if it's some cash you know if you need a hundred million dollars to help do the retooling or invest in in some new technology i'm sure both the federal and provincial government would come to the table they've done that before they'll do it again but i really get the impression that gm is quite serious that they thought this all through this is their plan and there's no deviating from it
1: well, and then you get into the old political game, too. If they do it for one, they're going to have to do it for the others, too, because it seems everybody's in the, the same basket at the stage. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. Thanks so much for this, Marvin. Take care, Bill. You too. The Bill Kelly Show,
0: weekdays from 9 to noon on 900-CHML.